In our episode describing the six conditions of effective teams, we briefly shared a tool we use to think about how to make changes that seem kind of daunting to us. In this episode, we'll explore that tool more fully. When we're in a frustrating situation, it's a simple but powerful tool for us to think about what we can do to get unstuck. We all have some level of influence on the systems around us, but none of us have unilateral decision-making authority to change everything we want to. This tool helps us be more mindful and creative with frustrating situations we can't just fix. We frequently use it in team retrospectives to figure out what actions we might take. Scrum masters, managers, coaches, executives, and many others can benefit from using it to think through how to influence change. In this episode, we'll explain the model by sharing a pretty typical work scenario, one where you're part of a large group, just one voice among many, and you're frustrated with how the group operates in some way. Then we'll use two non-work situations to illustrate first a situation where you may have a lot of power, but don't want to just use it because of side effects of that. And then at the other extreme, a situation where it feels like you have almost no power. This tool is a great way to start thinking about how to influence change. And our goal is to help you with whatever challenges are most frustrating you right now. If you're feeling stuck on something, whether that's trying to take a more human-centric approach to your work, trying to make your product or business outcomes better, or if you've just got a more tactical process-related question, let us know about it. Send us an email at mailbag at humanizingwork.com with a few details about the situation, and we'll share how we might think through your challenge right here on the Humanizing Work Show. And just a quick reminder to rate and review the Humanizing Work Show in your podcast app, or if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, and share today's episode if you find it valuable to you. We really appreciate your help spreading the word about the show. And if you want to get access to more of the content we produce beyond just the show, sign up for our newsletter where we share one key idea every week. You can sign up at humanizingwork.com slash hwnews. Okay, so the tool we're talking about today is called Own Influence Respond. It's inspired by and uh, iterates on a model we first learned from Diana Larson, and we'll link to the original in the show notes. The model is three concentric circles. The inner circle represents things we own. We have authority to do something about things in this circle. It's actions we can take on our own. The next circle represents things we don't own, but that we can influence. And then the outer circle is called respond. Sometimes we can't even influence the situation we're in. But this circle can still be really powerful because it helps us be mindful about how we respond to the situation. We do have control over that. When we're frustrated, we can respond by getting cynical or we can respond by choosing to accept the things we can't change and make the best of it anyway. Or we can examine whether something we believe is in the response circle might actually shift into influence if we could find the right approach. So that's basically it. It's a super simple tool. So let's use some examples to show how powerful it can be. The first one we'll walk through is from my time as a scrum master for the Adobe Audition team. Audition was an audio product and it was part of the Creative Suite, which was more than a dozen products that were bundled together with lots of cool connections between the products if a customer bought the entire suite. So Audition was and is a great product but not nearly as well known as the big players in the creative suite like Photoshop, Illustrator, and Acrobat. So on our team, we didn't have a super high level of political power to change how things were done. We were also the first product at Adobe to adopt Scrum, which worked well for us, 
but then created a lot of tension in how we worked compared to the standard approach at the time for other products in the creative suite. What are some examples of those tensions, Peter, uh, that were particularly frustrating for you and the team? Well, the first example that comes to mind is that the Creative Suite had a schedule mapped out long before the release. And so Creative Suite products, typically, we were releasing every 18 to 24 months. And as a suite, there was a date about six months before we released the products uh, that we called feature complete. And basically, we were developing features in the first two-thirds of that time frame. Now you're fixing bugs and you're figuring out integration into the installer. And uh, the marketing teams had to, uh, at that point, start figuring out how to market the features that were done. So that created some tension for us because when we hit that feature complete date, uh, that first cycle where we adopted Scrum, we were ready to release. We didn't have bugs to fix. We were ready. It's like we had been integrating the whole time. We had been working with our folks to document the features the entire time. And so we weren't really sure what we were supposed to do for the next six months. So that's one clear example that stands out is the traditional cycle didn't match what we were up to anymore. Well, let's talk about that one. So uh, the not being able to build any features in the last six months, that was frustrating. You used the word, we're not allowed to build mm -hmm. new features. So that sounds like you were categorizing that in the response circle. Yeah. It's just there. We don't have control over it. We, we would, I would start there like that, uh -huh. that, that, that was our first response. And I think this is often our first response when we're part of a big group like that, or a large company policy. It was we like, well, we're not allowed to. And really the power of this model, I think is uh, in challenging that assumption that we're not allowed to do something. How did you challenge it on that team? The first thing we did was try to make it clear that we really could release that day. <laughs> if the creative suite allowed us to, we say, audition's going to go out early, six months early. Now, that would have made no sense from a business standpoint. But we really wanted to um, make it clear that uh, this is possible on a big creative suite product. And so we visualized that using uh, a bug curve uh, prior to Scrum and all the other products at Scrum. One of the ways is that Adobe kept track of whether a product was ready to release was something that they called uh, open bug count. So how many bugs are we aware of? We've logged them. And then there was this curve that went down over time from feature complete to ready to release. And the rule essentially was you need to be at zero bugs in order to release. Um, our open bug count, if we compared that to previous cycles for our own team or compared that to other products in the suite, was essentially bouncing off zero. So we started to visualize, like, this actually is possible. Um, and then we went and started asking questions of other, other groups in the suite to say, if, just if, we were to keep developing features for another three months, what, what impact might that have on the other things that depended on us and that we depended on uh, and started advocating for that. I like this as an example of the advice we give all the time for the influence circle. If you can't fix it, make it more visible. Or even it's a way of moving from the respond circle to the influence circle. You're saying, I can't change it directly, but is there a way I can make it visible to somebody who could? Mm. Now I have potentially some influence over it. Right. Right. So that was definitely a move into the into influence for us. And uh, there were a couple of other ones that were kind of like that where we were we were showing, yeah, we really could do it. 
But I think the other important part here is uh, just strongly advocating without a recognition that we are part of a broader system wouldn't have been effective. And so that's another big part of influence is understanding how the decision you want to make might influence other people that you're just not aware of how that would have a negative impact on them if you did it. I like the way you describe that of what would happen if we continued building features at a high quality for three more months. If you were asking that in a curious way, rather than making an argument about um, we should do this because look how low our bug count is, you might have discovered that there were downstream effects of that. Like the marketing team can't keep up unless they know what features are available because they have a six month cycle for building out comprehensive marketing about this product or something. Yeah, there was marketing. There was um, pretty pretty well written user documents, <clears throat> and in those days, you had to actually burn all the installers on DVDs and and then send those to a plant to manufacture them and put them in a box. And so there were a lot of things where um, it, it wasn't just like it is now, like <laughs> put a put an executable file on a website and download it. <laughs> uh, so th there were a lot of downstream impacts. What's an example of something that stayed in the respond circle for that team? Uh, well, as we started to uh, explore whether we could go early um, or continue developing features or whatever the options were, what we found out is that there, there really was kind of a hard stop three months before the release. Um, and so there was nothing we could do about that, really. We just had to say, well, this is just the part of being a, a product in a larger suite. And so we can just choose to be frustrated about that, or we can choose to say, great, that's the way it is. Uh, how can we respond well to that? And, and one of the ways that we did that was to start to take a longer term view to say, maybe it's not this release where we start to influence other teams at, a, at the company, but maybe we could start thinking about how to influence the next cycle. And that actually was, uh, a successful approach as we started to share that we were ready to go and that we weren't working long overtime hours trying to get this thing out the door that was influential to other teams at the company to say huh that might be nice if we could do that as well and so that influenced things so it's interesting like our response to that was to take a longer view and think about how we could influence over the long term i think we always want our change to happen now and um taking a long-term view is another way that we can respond more effectively to that. Let's talk about the own circle. Mm -hmm. What are, I mean, there's probably some obvious things that the team owns that any team owns because nobody outside the team cares what you're doing with them. Mm -hmm. um, what are some examples of things on that team that weren't obviously in control of the team? Somebody might've said, no, we're not allowed to do that, but you discovered that you do actually have ownership over them. Uh, I think a good example of that is uh, that our, as we started adopting Scrum, at the end of every sprint, we could get feedback from our actual customers. But the program where you could actually show features to customers early, our kind of our pre-release or beta program, was not set up to do that until, again, the last kind of six months of the release. So when we first adopted Scrum, we went and talked to legal and we talked, there's a team that helped manage those user forums and, and how everything worked. And we went and talked to them and said, is it possible for us to get uh, our pre-release started? I think we maybe out of, after about three sprints, we actually were using our pre-release program to release the build at the end of a sprint 
that we demoed at the sprint review and to start getting really early feedback. So that's one example of an own. The, the other one's related to the previous scenario where when we hit that three month, like, okay, we really have to stop now. Um, we had to decide what to do in those three months. And so we decided to just start the next release and continue developing features for the release that was coming after that one. So those are a couple of things that were clearly in the own category. So that's a work example, but we mentioned previously that this is useful pretty much anytime you're frustrated. And uh, a scenario that uh, I think many of us often get frustrated in as parents is things like uh, how we interact with our kids and house rules and things like that. And Richard, you mentioned an example of this to me yesterday. You want to share a little bit about uh, a frustration that you were experiencing at home? <laughs> yeah, um, I have three sons um, who are um, late teens, early 20s at this point, And they're all currently living with us as they finish up um, college or you know, one's about to get married, that sort of thing. I've started doing a lot more projects around the house recently. Our house has gotten to a certain age. I'm wanting to accomplish some things here. And I've discovered that many of my tools have gone missing. And when I ask my sons about it, nobody knows where they are. No, I didn't use it last. Uh, so I'm spending a lot of time looking for tools. Oh my gosh. Can I just say, yes. Uh, I, yeah, this is a common tension in our house as well. So that's the problem. This feels like one where I have a lot of power potentially. And my knee jerk reaction was to say, this is in the own circle. Nobody touches my tools anymore. I'm buying new ones and painting them a certain color and you can't touch them anymore. Um, I haven't done that. So maybe you can coach me through how to use this tool to think more effectively in this situation where I do have a lot of power. I don't feel powerless, but there's risks to using that. Yeah. Why didn't you just say ultimatum, don't touch my tools or else? Mm -hmm. I actually enjoy collaborating with my sons on projects. I enjoy having them help me out with things. And I enjoy seeing them do a lot of their own um, creative projects, sometimes using my tools. I also like borrowing their tools from time to time. My youngest especially has a nice collection of tools. He's an engineering student and likes building stuff. And occasionally he has a thing I need. Mm. And so I recognized while I might be able to protect my tools to a greater extent, it probably wouldn't be good for even effectiveness around tools, let alone the consequences to the relationship of me saying, I don't want to share with you on this. All right. So you're mindfully choosing not to take unilateral action in the own circle. What are some things that you're considering in the influence circle instead? In the influence circle, um, one of the things that I've done even in the last week is my youngest has been complaining about how messy the garage and the tool organization is. And so I've let him take the lead in reorganizing the garage and my tools uh, and helping me come up with a system to keep track of them all and not lose them. So I'm kind of giving him some ownership in the tools being well organized and returned to their spaces. And I think he cares even more than I do about things being organized. So um, giving us a common purpose around the tools being in the right place more mm -hmm. often. I am also going to have to spend some money on toolboxes now that I've done that to make him happy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the fun part. Yeah. Uh, what's something that you're intentionally leaving in the respond circle? 
I think I've accepted that there's going to be some amount of things just don't get put back right away or properly. And I recognize that that's the thing I do sometimes. I can look around my uh, my office right now and see a few tools that I haven't put away. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've accepted that we're not going to be perfect at this. And some part of my working in this space is going to be occasionally having to go look for a tool and talk with people. And that's just the nature of the thing. I think there are a lot of uh, similarities here to say like a CEO or a founder who does have a lot of authority. They could make a lot of unilateral decisions, but using this model, they could think through what are the downsides, potential downsides of, I'm just going to put that in the own category and I'm just going to set the rule versus um, acknowledging that there are probably better ways to influence and some things that I just need to accept kind of and get to responsibility to use the Christopher Avery term in this is how I'm going to respond when things don't go well. This is really common in a, a company that is growing out of the early startup stage where the founders hands are in everything mm. to a larger company where you want to have a capable team that owns things. So you don't have to do everything. And ideally you want them to do a lot of things their own way so that it's better than what you could do by yourself. Right. And that often requires deliberately not putting things in the own circle. Uh, let's, let's shift to the complete other end of the spectrum where you have almost no power uh, and I know that you studied political science and you have some background in that. I'm curious if any political examples <laughs> come to mind for you, because I think this is an area where almost all of us feel almost completely powerless to change a frustrating situation. Mm -hmm. It's a really nice day in Denver right now, and it's getting really hot in my office because I had to close my windows before recording this. Uh, my street was originally supposed to be a nice, quiet residential street. And then a few years ago, the neighboring city, about six blocks to the south, connected a major street to the end of my street at the border. And so it kind of jogs over a block and connects to my street. And now my street is the major connector between a major street in Denver and a major street in Aurora. And we get a lot more traffic and faster traffic. And I'm right on the corner with a, a two-way stop where people are honking at each other all the time for not stopping uh, or for stopping when they shouldn't. And so I got a lot of street noise and had to close my window before this recording to cut down on the street noise, even though it's really nice 70 degree Fahrenheit day out there. Yeah. So, so that's an example of one where I feel largely powerless. Uh-huh. But you have ownership <laughs> of closing <Yeah>. your window. <laughs> Not the <laughs> I'm most responding satisfying. by accepting a hotter office to have a good recording. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's not something where you can just own it, where I imagine you can't just go block off the street without severe consequences. You can't just, I'm just going to put speed bumps down, right? Those are not things that you own. So how are you thinking about uh, what you can influence and how you respond? Yeah. A, a couple of neighbors with younger children um, are more fired up about this even than I am. And so they've started making connections to government leaders and, um, you know, the traffic department in both cities and arranging meetings and things like that. And so keeping up on that a little bit, and that's, that's really somebody else on my street doing the influence kind of work. And uh, sometimes that happens where you can support somebody else's work and um, kind of together have influence that you might not have on your own. I think there's an important pattern there, which is that uh, being a supporter 
kind of being a follower instead of a leader. I say somebody else is already doing this, uh, and I could try to take the lead on it, but it's probably more useful for me to be a great supporter of other people trying to influence things uh, is a pattern that is true when the authority is pretty low is find the people right. that are doing things that you believe in and think might be influential and be a great supporter for them in whatever way you can. Yeah. And collectively we can have more influence and I don't have to agree with every detail about how they're doing it. Yes. Mm. Um, there may be some recommendations that they're pushing that are not the things I would recommend, but I would rather have more influence together. That's not perfect than to go my own way and try to have influence by myself. That's different in some way. Great. So those are just a, a few examples of how we use this model, Own Influence Respond. Um, we would love to hear from you if you're going to put this to use. Where do you get stuck? Uh, where do you struggle to figure out how to respond effectively? Or what are some ways that you're uh, influencing more effectively? Uh, let us know in the comments on YouTube or shoot us an email at mailbag at humanizingwork.com. And we would love to explore this further with you. Thanks for listening.